It's 836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. President Trump is coming to southeastern Wisconsin later today doing a fundraiser for Scott Walker. In addition, he's going to be out at WCTC talking about what we talked about yesterday, That what I call the skills gap, what is called the skills gap, the fact that there's lots of jobs that are out there, but a number of the people just don't have the skills to do the jobs. And as one of the callers made a point yesterday when we discussed this, he works in one of the trades, in, in like manufacturing, machining, and things like that. He said that you know that there's just nobody around under the age of 50 who has the skills to do those jobs. And, of course, the reality is we're all getting older. And as more and more of the experienced people who've made good careers out of doing a lot of these, these vocational type of things, working in the trades, as they retire, there's going to be even more demand than before. But you don't have younger people with the skills the ability, the aptitude, or most importantly, perhaps the interest to do those type of jobs. So where are those jobs going to come from? We're going to be talking to uh, one of the special assistants to the president in advance of his trip. That's coming up around 1035. We start today's show like we start every show. Three big things. Big story number one, the controversy continues about the shooting at the lakefront. Now, the lakefront in Milwaukee is a people magnet. Whenever summer rolls around, people go down to the lakefront. It is beautiful. There's a lot more stuff now to do at the lakefront than there's been for a number of years. You you now have the North Point Burger Bar, for example, which is an attraction in and of itself. You've got all the stuff running up and down the lakefront. Lots of people go down there. Um, in addition, there's always a heavy police presence at the lakefront because wherever there's a lot of people, there is the potential, I guess, for people to, to act out. And traffic is always a mess. So Sunday night, it's very, very warm. There are thousands of people down at the lakefront. So this, I'm sorry, Sunday evening, there's thousands of people down at the lakefront around 7, 7.30. Some people who've just come down there to enjoy the end of the day. Some people who've probably been there all day. Lots of traffic, nowhere for the cars to go, nowhere for the people to go, people wandering all over. Right? I think everybody is familiar with the story right now. There is a, a vehicle um, that commits a traffic violation, kind of goes through a light right by the North Point Burger Bar. And that's about as dumb a thing as you can possibly do down there. Number one, it's dangerous. Number two, there, there's just police officers all over, sheriff's deputies, Milwaukee cops, whatever. So what happens is car commits a traffic violation. Um, a sheriff's deputy sees this and puts on his lights to, to make the car stop. I don't know they're going to give him a ticket or whatever. At that point in time, the driver of the vehicle takes off. Now, there's nowhere to go down there. So why you would try to run from the cops in that particular location is bizarre to me because th- there's heavy traffic. But nevertheless, the driver of the vehicle, who turns out to be a 19-year-old man, takes off, goes up on a median strip, almost hits a couple pedestrians. There is a sheriff's deputy that sees this car coming at him. Now, there's people all over. There's cars all over. And this car is trying to apparently get away from the police after they try to make this what would normally be a routine traffic stop. But you've got people all over. You've got a car that is trying to flee where there is nowhere to go. So the sheriff's deputy pulls out his gun and fires a couple shots into the car as it is coming at him. The car kind of turns at an angle, and so sheriff's deputy fires a couple shots. The driver of the vehicle turns out to be a 19-year-old male man 
Um, he's hit, and he, he's on life support at the hospital. There is a passenger, a woman in the front seat of the car. She is hit in the shoulder, and then there's somebody in the back seat of the car who is not injured at all, not involved in the shooting. They find a loaded handgun in the car. There isn't, there isn't any description yet. They haven't released whether or not the car was stolen or not. This is, um, it, it's an Audi Q5. So you try to buy an Audi Q5, you know, you try to buy it new, 50, 60 grand. So it's being driven by this 19-year-old guy. I do not know if the car was stolen or not. Don't know. But, you know, those are the circumstances behind this. Now, they're not saying much more about that. But the the Journal Sentinel, in a story written by one of their interns, has a front-page story that really caught my attention. Shooting into fleeing vehicles often not worth the risk, law enforcement experts say. Shooting into a moving vehicle carries great risk, and there are few scenarios where law enforcement officers would be justified to do so, experts say. And, you know, the story goes on, and it quotes people. As a general rule, real life is not like the movies. You you don't have the police chasing the bad guys and moving gun battles going on. That's not how real life works. And as a general rule, if a vehicle is trying to flee, it, it's probably, and I think it, it makes sense, that you're not going to shoot at, at the vehicle because there's a risk that you're going to you know, hit somebody else or something like that. Of course, what happened Sunday night on the lakefront is not necessarily your typical scenario. If you know it, it, the description is correct from what we've heard from witnesses, you have a vehicle that is not just trying to flee police, but trying to flee police in an area where there are a ton of people around. We had a caller yesterday morning who, who said that, that he was on the scene, like right behind the sheriff's deputy, and he said he watched this car as it was trying to get away, almost hit a pedestrian, go up on the median strip, almost hit the police officer. If they had let the car go, it's not like the car would have just been able to drive off. If the car continued to drive, you've got people on the medians, you've got people on the sidewalks, you've got people in the roadways. Um, there was potentially a huge danger to the pedestrians. So you have the story, again, written by an intern on the front page of the paper, fleeing, shooting into fleeing vehicles often not worth the risk. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess that story, as a general rule, you know, might might be true but if it is in fact true that you have the congestion you had at the lakefront that you have a car that is trying to flee from the police in that sort of crowded area where you have thousands of people and cars and pedestrians and the car is taking off and it's driving up on the median and it's swerving and it's almost hitting a police officer and it's almost hitting pedestrians can you just let the thing go away 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Under circumstances like this, if the facts are, as the witnesses at least are starting to say, huh, I mean, can you just let a car drive away, or do you have to try to stop it? And based on at least what I'm hearing so far, I think they have to try to stop it. You can't just let that car drive off because what happens if, as the car is trying to speed away, candidly, there's nowhere for it to go in the first place. I mean, it's going to be driving on sidewalks. It's going to be driving on the median strips. That driver 
by trying to run under those circumstances poses a risk to not just the life of the sheriff's deputy, but the lives of other people on in that area. And there were a ton of them. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Shooting into fleeing vehicles often not worth the risk, law enforcement experts say. Well, how about how about applying it to the facts of what appears to have happened on Sunday night? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Eight forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. I think the front page story in the local newspaper today is extremely unfair and uh, very, very loaded in many respects with regard to what happened at the lakefront on Sunday night. Shooting into fleeing vehicles often not worth the risk. Law enforcement experts say. I, I think the general things that they're talking about doesn't describe what the scenario was at the lakefront on Sunday night with all those people around if you have a car that decides it's going to try to flee from the police driving up on median strips um, endangering safety what are the cops supposed to do just let the car go and if that car goes another 50 feet and hits and kills um, a woman with a child in a stroller all right th- then how are we going to explain it Mary in Milwaukee Mary you're on 620 WTMJ good morning Mary mm-hmm. hi Mary yeah. you're on the air Hi. Well, I guess my my opinion about the whole situation is that um, this car is clearly going towards a police officer. And what it, the police officer also has to protect himself and the people around. And I think that with everything going on with people being against police officers and people supporting police officers, they can look at it both ways. Um, I think that it's, they're going to make, they're, they're not looking at the whole situation. And in the video, you can clearly see the sheriff jump out of the right. way of the vehicle. Right. No, oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And you can see all these people around. Somebody called up the show yesterday who watched it and said, you know, he actually even thought that that fleeing vehicle had, had, had brushed, you know, somebody who was standing on the road. What, what happens, like I say, if you let that go and that plows into a pedestrian, a woman pushing a stroller, all right, you know, what, what is the story going to be then? I mean, the officers have to try to protect themselves and protect the lives of others, that seems to me. Absolutely. I mean, you can, like I said, my prayers grow out to the, the young man that had gotten shot, sure. but, and the young lady that had gotten shot, but you also have to look at the whole scenario. Right, and, and, and the, the operative thing being they ran, you know, the, the operative thing being the reason this happens is for whatever reasons, and I don't know if it's because they've got the loaded gun. And, I mean, what, I don't know if it's because it was a stolen car. I don't know that that was the case, but I know that you're driving around. You got a 19 year old who's in an Audi Q5 who with a loaded handgun who decides to take off. I mean, that's what started this unfortunate chain of events into motion, people deciding that they can just run from the police regardless of what the circumstances are. In the middle of a crowd, right. in, in right. the middle of a crowd, which is yeah. bad, you know, because there's children, uh, yeah. innocent people all around. Well, no, right. They, they, see that and I guess that see um, you read this this story that, that's in the journal Sentinel and they're quoting these experts as saying, well, you know, if you're in a scenario, sometimes, you know, rather than firing shots, it's it's better to just get the license plate and let the car drive off. Okay, I I, I understand 
if you're talking about, say, a drug deal that you know you try to bust into in a vacant Northridge parking lot, yeah, okay, I, I understand that. But that's not what you had on Sunday night. I mean, you have a, a car that is driving, you know, trying to elude police up on median strips in a very, very heavily populated area. And to assume that if you just let that car, what are you going to do? Let the car weave in and out of traffic? Let the car drive down the median strip? Let the car go up on a sidewalk? I mean, what are you going to do? You have to look at individual circumstances. And, and again, I think I think we do a huge, I think some of the analysis here is doing a huge disservice to the police officer for, I mean, what, whatever reason, go fill in the blank and try to figure out, you know, um, try to figure out, you know, why people are doing this. Um, Chris in Elkhorn writes on our text line, what can the police do? I don't condone power abuse by authorities, but we as a society take for granted the security of a police force. If my family had been down there, I would have wanted the SUV stopped. Given what happened in New York City and other parts of the world with vehicles, they would have been criticized for not doing something as well. People can't have it both ways. Sam and East Troy writes, Jeff, if you write, watch the video. It was the deputy who was in foot patrol who shot the guy. Yes, right. right. The, the car that tried to, the deputies in the vehicle that tried to stop him. And then there was another deputy on foot patrol. That's right. Not the one who tried to pull him over. And the video shows the deputy um, appearing to cross as the vehicle jumps the median. The deputy on foot took action to stop a threat coming at him and unknown numerous other pedestrians not shown in the video frame after the SUV took to the median and tried to flee. Andrew in Greenfield writes, I'd love to see the intern's headline. Well, you know, she didn't write the headline, but she wrote the story. I would love to see the intern's headline when the driver hits and kills a pedestrian and the police didn't do anything to try to stop it. Andy in Waukesha writes, Jeff, three words, London Bridge attack. Um, let's talk to Kathy in Sheboygan. Kathy, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was actually just going to say that same thing. I was... Um Basically, you have to consider that police officers have to consider everything that's going on in the world, too. And there are all these events going on around the world, some of which have involved cars driving into crowds of people, um, possibly terrorist-related, possibly not. But, I mean, they're aware of those things, and here you have a crowd of people down at the lakefront. And, And this is the other thing. People have to realize they cannot view these situations like a private citizen. They have to view it like they are a sworn police officer who are sworn to protect the public. If they just let um, people who do these violent things go all the time just because they don't want a confrontation, we'd have a lot more of this stuff going on. So. Well, yeah, and people's lives would be, I mean, thanks, and people's lives would be in danger. I mean, see, that's Look, that's the circumstance. Police officers are only allowed to use deadly force when they believe that there is essentially an equivalent sort of threat to their life or the lives of other others. And, and somebody in that circumstance with thousands of people at the lakefront, somebody trying to flee in you know, a, an SUV that's driving across median strips or whatever and almost is hitting pedestrians and coming at you know, a deputy on foot patrol, yes, that to me is a situation where you are turning that vehicle into a deadly weapon let's not lose sight the reason this happens is because for whatever reasons again i i i don't know about the car i mean i i nobody's saying whether it was stolen or not but 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that Audis get Audis are one of the cars that you choose to get stolen. I don't know. I don't know why the 19 year old would be driving the Audi Q5. Um, I looked at one of those it was kind of beyond my price range, but I don't know. I don't know why he has the gun, the loaded gun in the car. And that's so and you don't know why the young man decided to try to run. You know what was actually going on here. But once the young man tries to run and sets these wheels in motion, well, occasionally, you know, bad stuff, you know, is going to happen. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, the police have to try to protect the rest of us. Jeff on the north side. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Jeff? Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Okay, lost Jeff there. Um, yeah, so I think you have to try to, you know, view this. And, again, I, I think the story, again, I think that the story in today's paper is very, very unfortunate. I don't think... By applying, like, general sort of rules, yes, you don't shoot at fleeing cars. Well, yeah, but sometimes when the fleeing car is posing a threat to officers and to pedestrians under circumstances like this, you got to stop the vehicle. you got to stop the vehicle, and let's not lose sight. The reason this happened was because, for whatever reason, the 19-year-old guy in the car decided to take off. Keep that in mind. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 907, Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We're right in the middle of our three big things section. Um, coming up in just a couple minutes, as a matter of fact, millions for the streetcar, no dough for cops. Hmm, that's the Milwaukee way. All right, big story number two another left wing court. Three judges on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is probably the most liberal circuit in the country. Um, strike down President Trump's travel ban. Um, this is, they are now the second appellate court to do it. They used a slightly different rationale than the court on the East Coast that split, interestingly, uh, along ideological lines. All the appellate judges appointed by Democrats voted against President Trump. All the ones appointed by Republicans voted in favor of him. In the decision that came out yesterday, it was only a three-judge panel on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is essentially California, Washington, Oregon, Hawaii. And uh, all three judges appointed by Bill Clinton voted to strike down the travel ban. This, This is... A very, very scary, in my opinion, judicial overreach. Now, I understand that we elect presidents, not kings, and that presidents are bound by the rule of law. At the same time, presidents, whether it's Barack Obama or George Bush or Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton, have various powers and have responsibilities. And being second-guessed by federal judges who have their own unelected federal judges, who have their own ideological preferences and biases, is very, very scary. Now, the Trump travel ban, as modified, at least in my opinion, is a very reasonable sort of thing. It identifies seven specific countries where the they're, they're countries, but at the same time, their governments are, in many cases, just like regimes. And there's no assurance that the vetting that these countries are doing of the people who are leaving the country is going to find terrorists or things like that. It's just it's not like you've got somebody coming in from, you know, Britain or France or Spain or Italy. 
It's not that kind of thing. So the Trump travel ban identifies these various countries that are majority Muslim, but there's all sorts of other countries that are majority Muslim that aren't included in the ban. But it separates these seven because, again, you're talking about regimes. And it says we're not, it doesn't say that we're not going to allow people from this country to come in, these countries to come in. It simply says that we want to pause the immigration for 90 days so we can establish a vetting process for this. Now, you mean to tell me that you've got liberal federal judges that don't think that that think that that's a constitutional violation or in what is even scarier as a basis for denying this, say, well, we're going to look at some of the things that Trump said on the campaign trail. And even though this is a religion neutral order, we're, we're going to look at some of the things that he said, and we're going to assume that this means he is trying to discriminate against Muslims. Well, if he was trying to discriminate against Muslims, then it would be a ban, you would think, on all Muslims from all over the world coming into the United States. But it's not. It's targeted at a handful of countries. And here is where it is dangerous. And this is where, whether it's in Milwaukee Circuit Court, where you have some progressively educated judge that decides that they want to give the juvenile car thief yet another break, or whether it's you have federal appellate judges who decide that they think they know better as to how to make the country secure. So they come up with, in my opinion, these convoluted theories to try to decide what is going to happen and what's not going to happen, and they therefore put the country at risk. I think this travel ban is going to go to the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court hears it on the merits, I think they're going to reverse these various courts. And I I think people who care about the security of this country need to take a step back from the politics. I understand that there's some on the left who, you know, every time, you know, Donald Trump loses a particular case. Oh, they did this. They're going to applaud. And they say, oh, this is just the greatest thing in the world. See, we stopped him. Well, that, that's fine until you have a terrorist attack and you look back on some of the people that were cheering the fact that, all right, President Trump was uh, stopped by a court or the decisions by these courts, and if people lose their lives because somebody comes into the country that shouldn't, these judges are going to have blood on their hands. So that's big story number two. Trump loses travel ban ruling in appeals court. Ultimately, this is going to be decided by the federal courts. Big story number three. Um, it's the end of the road for the case involving Greg Gianforti. Greg Gianforti was the Republican who was running for Congress, who was elected to Congress out of Montana. Um, I think you're all familiar with the story. A day or so before the election, he's trying to do an interview. And what happens is you have a reporter for one of these left-wing great publications from Britain who kind of storms into the, the room and interrupts and starts asking questions and starts sticking a, a recorder in the guy's face. Um, he tells him to leave. The reporter doesn't. He continues, like, sticking the, re- the recorder in his face. And the, the congressional candidate gets angry, you know, loses it, and reaches out. And I think he tries to not – what happens is he tries to grab the guy's wrist to push the recorder out of his face – um, they end up struggling. They go down to the floor. Now, the way this gets presented in the mainstream media is he, he body slammed him. I don't really think that's what happened. I think what happened is they were kind of struggling because he was trying to push away the um, recorder that was stuck in his face. Uh, but they go down and they wrestle around and the reporter ends up you know, saying that, that he's injured. Then, of course, you have all these other reporters. Oh, my gosh, we've got these Republican politicians who are assaulting journalists. Well, right, the the congressional candidate, now the congressman in this case, was wrong, should not have gotten physical. At the same time, 
it's interesting to me that there appears to be now no standards at all among some of these quote-unquote journalists who really aren't anything more than paparazzi nowadays. You know, the people that used to hang outside or do hang outside the bars and the hotels trying to get pictures of celebrities and stuff. A lot of these reporters have become just a new version of paparazzi. Now, that's not to say that the congressman should have done that, shouldn't have gotten physical, should have had more security or, or whatever. But the truth is more and more of these reporters are becoming more and more aggressive in trying to get their stories, force comments, try to get their own YouTube moments. And I think now, especially Republican politicians, have to recognize that and have to just deal with it. So the, the congressman was wrong. Now the congressman was wrong. He was charged with a misdemeanor. That was resolved yesterday. He apparently um, entered a plea to the misdemeanor case. Um, he is going to get some community service time, 40 hours of community service time, 20 hours of anger management classes. He's also paid $4,000 in restitution to the um quote-unquote victim for medical expenses and agreed to give $50,000 to the Committee to Protect Journalists. So that that's going to resolve the matter, I assume. I guess I think that that's a, a relatively reasonable resolution of this matter. But at the same time, Committee to Protect Journalists, maybe you should also have a committee that teaches journalists some degree of ethics and some degree of boundaries, because I, I do think one of the downsides of this is it's going to perhaps embolden some quote-unquote journalists to act even more and more like pops, paparazzi. The congressman shouldn't have gotten physical, not defending that at all, but um, sometimes, you know, when you're faced with these aggressive, this aggressive sort of behavior, it's easy to understand why somebody would lose their cool. Politicians have to be above it, and they have to recognize that they're going to be provoked more and more in the age of Donald Trump by the mainstream media or an agenda-driven media in this case, but you still can't respond. So big story number three, uh, the congressman resolves the matter. I think it's a reasonable resolution of it, um, and he will, if he runs again, he will be reelected by more than six points. That is my prediction. All right, coming up next. The mayor's plan to spend millions on streetcars and not as much on cops is not going over well. Stick around. It's 916 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, we let you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Pitch's Lounge at Restaurant in Milwaukee. If you haven't been to Pitches in a while, you really owe it to yourself. It's absolutely outstanding. Featuring their specialty barbecue baby back ribs, Pitches has been family-owned and operated for over 70 years. It is a true Milwaukee landmark. This Friday at 12 noon, you can get a $50 gift certificate for only $25. It is just like stealing. These will, but it's legal. These will go quickly. We only have 100 available. Get yours this Friday starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. All right. Yesterday we talked about the unfortunate decision of the mayor to play politics with the, the budget. He's got a beef with the state. He wants more money from state taxpayers. And so they've come up with this kind of cockamamie thing where they say, hey, the city of Milwaukee is a net exporter of revenue, meaning that they give more to the state. The city gives more money to the state than it gets back in terms of shared revenue. So Barrett wants more. Now, the flaw in that argument is they're really not comparing apples to oranges because – 
that in addition to the shared revenue the the city gets, there's all sorts of stuff which is money that is spent, enormous amounts of money that is spent to support the city of Milwaukee that doesn't come in the form of shared revenue. And when you add that in, it's it's clear that Milwaukee is not a, a net exporter. I mean, but but nevertheless, I understand the fact that the mayor, he he, he wants more money from the state. Ain't going to happen. He also, I, I think, would like the ability to raise taxes. I think they think it's unfair that the state legislature has limited their ability to try to generate other revenue. And I, he, he may or may not have a point, right? But that's not the issue. He decides... To use the Washington Monument example, the Washington Monument example is whenever there's going to be a government shutdown, um, what happens is, like the Park Service, instead of laying off some mid-level bureaucrats, they close the Washington Monument. We're going to close the national parks. We're going to try to do whatever we can to cause the most harm to dramatize the situation. And unfortunately, Tom Barrett decided to play the Washington Monument game with the police department. So he comes out and he says, well... If if I don't get more money, and if the state doesn't give us more money, what we're going to do is we're going to have to we're going to lose 84 police officers, we're going to eliminate 75 firefighter positions, we're going to have to get rid of six public health nurses, 10 code inspector jobs could be gone. Now I was arguing yesterday that isn't it interesting when when people politicians like Barrett do this, they, they go for the police officers. They they don't say hey I'm going to get rid of two of my staff members. Hey, we're going to look at the aldermen, and we're going to get rid of you know their aides. They, they don't say that because if they said, hey, you know, I'm going to if Barrett had to cut his staff in half, who would care? If the aldermen had to lose some of their assistants, who would care? But you say, okay, we're going to cut back police officers. Well, then everybody cares. So that's why guys like Barrett pulled this stunt. You know, we're going to have to get rid of police officers instead of making cuts that no one would care about. They try to dramatize it, but. We had a caller, and actually an alderman kind of echoed that yesterday. One of the other points was, all right, you're seriously considering cutting or not filling or getting rid of police officer positions. Well, how does that fit in with the streetcar? Um, Right now, if you drive in downtown Milwaukee, it looks like a war zone because they're tearing up streets to put in uh, streetcar tracks that haven't been used since 1910 or 1920. The bulk of the construction is being paid for with federal taxpayer money. But the costs to move all the utility lines, which it's going to be well in excess of $20 million, it could be more than that, that's being paid for ultimately. I mean, the taxpayers are fronting that, that money. They're going to try to get it back through a TIF district, but the taxpayers are fronting that money. In addition, operating costs for the streetcar are going to be paid for by taxpayers, plus Barrett has this grandiose plan that it's not just going to be a streetcar that runs the 2.1 miles from the bus depot to the Lower East Side, the yuppie mover, um, but, but also he wants spurs going all over. I mean, he wants to tear up the streets to have these trolleys, okay? That is going to cost tens of millions of dollars, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars. So anyhow, Alderman Tony Zielinski weighs in on this yesterday. He says, you know, first of all, um, there is no way that any effort to try to cut police jobs is going to pass through the Common Council. Um, his exact quote was, there's no way this is going to pass the Common Council, and I think it's reckless to throw those kind of numbers out there because it's totally unreasonable. Um, all right, he then goes on to say, you know, 
All right, this is the same Tom Barrett who wants to build and is in the process of building the Milwaukee streetcar that has, you know, no long-term funding mechanism for it. And he goes on to say, if we are forced to choose between public safety and other needs, the city streetcar cannot be a higher priority. And he goes on to talk about how he's asked the mayor not to commit any further expansion of the streetcar project. So, interesting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it responsible? Oh, let me just come out and say this. It is. Can you imagine how, how irresponsible of this is for the mayor to, on the one hand, be urging an expansion of a streetcar project? And on the other hand, be saying, I might have to get rid of 84 police positions. I might have to get rid of 75 firefighters. I might have to close two libraries. I might have to get rid of 10 public uh, health nurse positions. But give me my streetcar. All right. So those of you, what do you think? Where are the pri- Is this an example of priorities that are hopelessly, totally out of whack? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, I mean, I know that the initial streetcar um, construction is being funded by this federal tax dollars. But the city taxpayers are picking up the costs to move the utility lines. The city taxpayers are going to be picking up the operating costs. Would you rather have the money go to cops or go to a streetcar? 414-799-1620. Isn't it interesting that the mayor doesn't even bring up the streetcar when he threatens to get rid of police positions? 926, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We discuss next. It's 928. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett is pleading poverty. He wants more money from the state taxpayers. He says, if I don't get it, I'm going to have to get rid of 84 police positions. And and truthfully, I mean, I understand some of his beef on, on shared revenue, but he's not going to be getting more money from the state taxpayers. But Barrett says, if I don't get this, I'm getting rid of cops. I'm getting rid of firefighters. But at the same time, you're going to put millions more into a streetcar expansion. What's wrong with this? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Hey, uh, I'm thinking that uh, the priority should be keeping the cops and the firemen on the street. You know, if he wants to have uh, people riding his trolley, maybe he should have more cops and firemen so people can get safely to the trolley. Yes. <laughs> well, well, e- exactly. I mean, you know, let's let's talk about a chicken and egg type of thing. If you're worried about people leaving the city of Milwaukee or not moving into the city of Milwaukee or being apprehensive about coming to the city of Milwaukee, what is more important? You know, making sure that they are safe by having a proper police presence, especially given all the crime, or, hey, we've got this great trolley line that will take you to places, but we can't protect you while you're waiting for it. I mean, how dumb could this possibly be, Mike? Absolutely. It, it, I, I don't I don't get it. Well, I, think, I mean, also, what is... I can't believe Tom Barrett is not a dumb guy. Tom Barrett is very ideological. He's decided he the streetcar is going to be his legacy, so he's going to push through it. And like I've said before, what's going to happen is 15 years from now, God knows how many hundreds of millions of dollars, if he gets his way and there's an expansion, Tom Barrett's going to be long gone. Martians are going to land in Cathedral Park. They're going to look at this trolley that is costs 
tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that nobody is riding, and they're going to fly away thinking there's no intelligent life in Milwaukee. But this is the legacy that Tom Barrett wants to leave. Okay, fine. I still don't understand how there's not somebody on his staff that would have stopped him before he went out and tried to pull the stunt on Friday, giving an interview, threatening to get rid of police positions without saying, well, well, Mr. Mayor, you know, don't you think that there's an inconsistency with threatening to get rid of cops at the same time you're full speed ahead on a trolley line, which at best at best will be a small yuppie mover for a very, very narrow group of people who live on the east side. Maybe maybe you want to rethink that, but of course, I guess consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. It's 9.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Some are claiming that's an infringement of their First Amendment rights to be blocked on Twitter by President Trump. Do they have a point, or is this argument going too far? Discussed today at 12.07 during Scafidi and Bilstead. See, that's a nice, nice way of saying it. Do they have a point, or is the argument going too far? I might have said, is this a really stupid argument? But I'm just, just, just saying, hey, coming up in about an hour, we're talking to a special assistant to the president to kind of preview... Um, why he is coming to southeastern Wisconsin and talk a little bit about jobs, which continues to be one of my obsessions, because the truth of the matter is, if you're going to have a community or an area or a region or a state that grows and thrives and survives, you you need to figure out a way to get good jobs and you need to figure out a way to hook up the workforce with those jobs and you need a way to find a a skilled workforce that can do those jobs and I think that's one of the things that the president is going to be talking about. We're going to be discussing that with uh, one of his assistants coming up at 1035 right after the top of the hour. It's one of my favorite stories of the day. Who is that topless woman and why is she on my beach? Got your attention. You have to stick around. 10.05. We will be talking about that. All right. This, I understand that President Trump is extremely controversial. I, I get that. And one of the things that's been interesting to me is to watch the way that groups have kind of divided. And I, I really wonder if there's sort of, if there's any middle ground now, because you, you have on the right, you have, and I hear from you, you have people who are the always Trumpers, and, and there's, there is nothing the president can do that they think is wrong. And I, I hear from you. I, I know it. And it, it, it's just, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter how he goes about doing something. It, it just, it's above criticism. And I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't buy that because, again, while I agree with the substance of a number of things the president has done, I think... He's made a number of mistakes. He's made it much more difficult for himself because of some of the things that he has tweeted out or some of the things that he can say, has said. And I, I do wonder whether it's style as opposed to substance. But I, I'm not one of the always Trumpers. On the other side, you have, you have the hardcore, crazy, never, never, ever Trumpers. And these are the people for whom the president can't do anything right. It would be one of those serious, seriously. I mean, I think if President Trump were to give everybody in America a hundred dollar bill out of his own personal stash, people would complain that it wasn't five twenties. I've got a hundred dollar bill. How am I going to break this up? And, and and he gets no credit for anything. And as time goes on, the never ever ever Trumpers become more and more crazed in the way that they approach things. Um, you know, one of the classic examples we talked about this a little bit yesterday was the. 
Right. Um, you've got this this public theater in New York. They stage uh, performances in Central Park. They're, they're doing they're doing Julius Caesar, Shakespeare's play. Um, and everybody knows how that ends. It does not end well for Julius Caesar. But they have reimagined this with the Caesar character being a Trump imitator and um, Calpurnia, who is Caesar's wife, that it's a Melania Trump. And so, you know, th- this is it's it's the assassin. I mean, they, they are essentially dramatizing the assassination of Donald Trump. And it's not do they have a right to do it. It's just like. All right, this is in such incredibly, incredibly bad taste. And if this was Barack and if this was staged the exact same way, except you had a Barack Obama lookalike and a Michelle Obama lookalike, people would be starting with the New York Times, which sees nothing wrong with this production. People would be screaming, you know, about this. And it's again, it's the hysteria of of people because they're the never ever Trumpers who've just gone over the bend. Well, this is starting out now that the never, ever, ever Trumpers have, have merged and are becoming what they are now starting to call uh, the resistance summer movement. And you, you are seeing this. These are people who have decided that they are going to protest every opportunity they have, and they're going to protest anything and everything. Um, for example, over the weekend... Um, there was a, a protest out in New Jersey um, at the Trump National Golf Club. And here's the way USA reports it. The goal behind Sunday's Summer of Resistance, and you're going to hear that term a lot over the next couple months, the goal of behind Sunday's Summer of Resistance protest at Trump National Golf Club was to disrupt, to make it uncomfortable and even impossible for guests to attend a fundraiser for a U.S. congressman at the golf course. Uh, the congressman, whose third congressional district represents some of the counties there, is um, you know one of the guys who's trying to replace the Affordable Care Act. More than 140 cars with about 500 people participated in the weekly action. So they're doing this every week at different locations. Um, looping, what they essentially did is they tried to block traffic along an eight-mile stretch of road to try to stop people from being able to get into the the event. So, I mean, they didn't – so, what you know, what happens is you've got, okay, an entrance road to the, this country club. So what they do is they get hundreds and hundreds of cars, and they drive really, really, really slowly to make it difficult for people to um, get – there and, and this is the idea it's going to be you know one thing after another this is our resistance summer we're going to try to stage all these protests we're going to try to be as annoying as we possibly can to send whatever message you know we want to send um they do this in this case they do this every week this particular group and this is an idea and it's a concept that is spreading around the country 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line just like i believe the protests to Act 10 back in 2012 were so over the top that it turned a lot of people who might have other been, otherwise been sympathetic to the cause, that it turned them off. I think as events like this become more common, as this summer of resistance stuff starts to take over, as the general public, the silent majority, starts to see more and more people doing this. I think I think it's going to have a huge backlash. I, I do. And I think that these 
you know, constant protests and let's try to be as annoying and as disruptive as we possibly can to other people's events. It might make the people who are staging the protests feel good. Hey, we made it difficult for people to get into this fundraiser. But the more and more they do this, I think the more and more they are going to lose the support of the general public. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This summer of resistance, if if it is carried out like it's being carried out now, is this going to help mobilize and solidify the opposition to Trump or is it going to backfire? I vote for backfire. We discuss next. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 943. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. That's part of our regular bumper music rotation. Our tribute to uh, the late Greg Allman, "Midnight Rider," one of the great songs by uh, the Allman Brothers Band. President Trump is set to make his second visit to Wisconsin since taking the oath of office as he visits Waukesha County's Technical College. John McCure will have full coverage and analysis of the president's appearance later today after Brewers baseball on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Yeah, if you're looking at your Brewers schedule. And you say, what is this afternoon baseball that that man is talking about? Um, this is they're playing a day night doubleheader in St. Louis. This uh, the afternoon game is the makeup game for a game that was rained out earlier in the season. So um, day night doubleheader. Our coverage starts around twelve uh, forty or so uh, this afternoon. So um, an abbreviated Scafidi and Bill Stat show as well. All right, they're calling it Resistance Summer. And for, for President Trump, the, the summer White House is in New Jersey at his Trump National Golf Course. And um, now this is going around across the country, but it's something that, there, that started in New Jersey. Um, for a few months now, hundreds have been gathering weekly to protest the Trump administration and its policies. They call it like the people's um, motorcade. So um, what they did, for example, last weekend is there was a fundraiser for a congressman at this event. So they have hundreds of cars come out and essentially drive really, really slow to stop people who might want to attend the fundraiser from being able to go into it. All right. All right. How childish can you possibly be? I mean, you know, seriously, how childish can you be? This is how we're going to, you know, this is how we're going to like deal with these types of things. I mean, really? Uh, let's see. Kelly, um, Kelly and Waukesha, um, it's Kelly and Waukesha. I'm kind of looking through our text things here, but it's just extremely childish when you try to, you know, do this. And it's, it's this petulant sort of thing. Um, Kevin from Belgium writes, um, I basically vote for Republicans in most elections. However, it's a good Democratic candidate available. I find myself voting for him. But the way the left has been acting since Donald Trump has taken office has driven a wedge between me and them. And now I find myself unable to vote for anyone on the left again. Yeah, that's, you know, one of the things that's going on here. I think a lot of reasonable people are, are, are turning off. Kelly from Waukesha texts, I think every time these nuts pull their stunts, it's another vote for Trump for re-election. And then when he does get re-elected, they'll think the Russians did it when it was really them. You see, that, that that's it. And this played out 
when we were having the Act 10 discussion, you know, five years ago. Again, I, I think, you know, maybe there were some people who said, okay, maybe the governor's going too far and maybe we don't need to completely eliminate collective bargaining rights. But the reaction was so out of proportion to the response. You know, we're going to have union activists from all over the country come in, and we're going to have the state legislators flee the state. It was so out of proportion to what was going on that I think that there was a lot of that, that silent majority, the term that we've had thrown around since the 1970s, that looked at this and said, this is crazy. We don't want to be part of this group. And I think the more and more you have this resistance summer type of stuff and these sort of activities – you know, here you got people that were attending this event. They can't go to the event because you have these childish fools that have decided to make it difficult. That's where the backlash, I think, comes in. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning to you, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I, 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 I think that when all is said and done, this will be a wash because there's ridiculous outbursts and tweets. And he really defines petulance, if you want to use that word. Uh, so, so I don't think they win or lose. And I do think it is childish behavior. Yeah. Right. Now, and look, and, and I understand in some respects, President Trump is his own worst enemy <laughs> because, because he, he's brought, He's brought a lot of this on himself by, you know, it's kind of his bull in the China shop attitude. But at the same time, I, I just think a much more temperate response would, would go a lot farther, because I think there's a lot of people who are going to look at this and just be turned off by it. Agreed. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, and again, the thing, and, and this is, and, and I understand for the people who are the always Trumpers, oh, no, no, this is, you know, we, we want to see this aggressive type of stuff. No. I mean, the truth is the president has brought on some of this himself by the way that he has approached things. Now, to me, again, that's what I lump into the category of perhaps style, not substance. But, of course, it's not a surprise, because... He, he was like that during the, the campaign, and he won. And elections have consequences, as I often say, and you know, often hear. And it, it just—it is amazing to me, though, that what you're seeing is the, the 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 crazed left is just unable to accept the fact that it lost the election. I mean, that—that's the bottom line. It lost the election, and it wasn't because of Russian interference. It was because Donald Trump tapped into a sentiment that people, you know, apparently there were a lot of people just didn't see coming. It was also because Hillary Clinton was a rotten candidate. There's no doubt about that. But the truth of the matter is elections have consequences. And what you're seeing is this giant hissy fit, this incredible outrage by what I think you would lump fairly as the largest collection of sore losers to come down the pike maybe forever. So bring on the resistance summer events. Um, the more you see it, I think the more the potential for backlash grows. All right, coming up next, Barack Obama commutes a sentence. I'll tell you how that worked out. Stick around. It's 9.53. It's 9.56. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line is exploding. Uh, on the Summer of Resistance, Debbie writes, OMG. It's, oh, my God, really, people, grow up. Life goes on. All you childish grown-ups need to start growing up. Uh, Lisa in Wind Lake writes, eventually the grown-ups of this country will realize uh, we need to do something. Well, that, that's the whole point. It's like, okay, you know, grow up. 
And I, I understand that there's now part of these protests are being organized by, you know, some of the, you know, lefty funded groups. And so a lot of it is this this kind of astroturf. I'm not sure how much of a citizens movement it is. But but nevertheless, I, there's going to be a backlash. Mark my words. All right. Uh, President Obama, who thought too many people were doing too much time for drug dealing, ended up commuting the sentence of a number of, of people on his way out of the White House. Matter of fact, Obama granted clemency to 1,715 people, many of them drug offenders, during his eight years in office. Well, how's that working out? Carol Denise Richardson, 49. Um, was one of these people. She was serving life in prison, sentenced to life in prison in June of 2006. Um, she was lengthy rap sheet, constant drug dealer, lengthy rap sheet. So Obama says, nope, 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 I, I want to let her out. I, I think she doesn't need to be in prison for life. I'm going to let her out. All right, that was, what, about a year ago? Well, She's back in. <laughs> Actually, it didn't even make it here. July 28th, thanks to President Obama, July 28th of 2016, she was a free woman. Now she's back in prison. Apparently, um, what happened is after she got out, she ended up going and uh, stealing stuff. She was caught stealing $60 worth of laundry detergent in Pasadena, California. She planned to sell it to buy drugs, her attorney said. Um, so she got caught doing that. Now, she had, of course, all sorts of conditions of her release, meaning, you know, you stay in contact with your probation officer. You don't leave the community without telling us and you don't commit crimes. Well, she didn't stay in contact with the probation officer. She left the community and she got caught stealing. So now she is back in prison, this time only for 14 months. Her attorney um, whining that, um, that, that um, the system had failed her once again. Okay, here's the bottom line. System didn't fail, this lady. This lady was given the second chance of all second chances. And candidly, it probably wasn't a second chance. It was probably a 12th or 13th chance. President Obama reaches out. He commutes her sentence. He turns her loose. And 11 months later, she's unable to comply with the conditions of her release. She's back in jail. How many more of the 1,700 people whose sentences he commuted do you think will find themselves in the same situation within the next couple years? I'll bet you. I'll bet you at least a third. It's 10.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We've got a special assistant to the president coming up uh, in about 25 minutes. Uh, We're going to be discussing the president's trip to Waukesha. But this is... I, I like I pride myself on running an eclectic talk show. Now, now, so so, <laughs> James laughing. No, but I mean seriously. And and see, and, and I always get. I mean, everybody wants to be a radio programmer, so I always get the you, know, you. You need to talk about more serious subjects. You need to talk about lighter subjects. Okay, so today we we've talked about the shooting at the lakefront. We've talked about the Trump summer of resistance issues. You know, we've talked about the Trump travel ban. We're going to have a special assistant to the president coming up. So you know, we've done serious issues as well. But. Um, this this issue something uh, it it it's it's the right to go topless. Now let me say at the outset, I like women's breasts as well as the next guy and perhaps better than most. I mean I, I just want to go on on record, you know, saying that. Fair enough. <clears throat> um, and actually, <laughs> when I was a kid, my my parents were were both from Maryland. My mom was from Southern Maryland. My dad was from Baltimore. And when I was a kid, we used to go to Ocean City, Maryland, which is. Uh, there's an Ocean City, New Jersey. There's Atlantic City. Ocean City, Maryland is kind of a, 
it's a, a smaller version of Atlantic City for people. You know, it's it's boardwalk and nice beaches and stuff like that. Well, Jane Matnair, Ocean City, Maryland, has been embroiled in a huge controversy. Matter of fact, to the point that there are now like dueling editorials and opinion pieces in the Washington Post because it's a family vacation area. Like we would go to Ocean City and you it's one of these places where you go and you, you rent a place for a week, you know, like a, a thing like that. So we, we would do that. So I know the beaches very well. It's been years and years since I've been there, but I, I know. Them. So what happens is last summer there is a, a woman who described herself as a, as an advocate for top freedom, who goes to the Ocean City, Maryland beach and takes off her top. Well, the authorities come and they say, no, you have to put your, your top on. And she refuses to. And that then creates th- this controversy because Maryland law is somewhat vague about whether or not you have to do this or not. But her position is there's a lot of guys that are walking along the beach, you know, and, and they're, they're going topless. So women should be able to go topless. So this spring, th- this top freedom movement starts to take off. And a bunch of other women show up and they start walking up and down the beach in the boardwalk topless. And the lifeguards decide, well, we're not clear on what the law is, so we're going to let them go. So more and more people come and they start walking around topless. At which point in time, in an emergency session, the Common Council for Ocean City meets over the weekend. And they now pass an ordinance saying it's a $1,000 fine for a woman to go topless. And now this is this huge national controversy, which is going to be leading to lawsuits and, and things like that. So, you know, we're going to take calls. But, but Jane Metnair, I wanted the female perspective on this. Okay, topless beaches at Ocean City. Topless, be- topless at, at Bradford Beach. What do you think? Well, my husband and I have traveled extensively. In Greece, you see topless everywhere. Families, kids, it's no big deal. Right. I think in this country we have a weird relationship with nudity and sex and there is so much sexualization in our advertising in our movies in in just about everything and yet when it comes to actually seeing naked potty parts we're prudes all of a sudden (laughs) right and i I don't understand that i i I don't Mm -hmm. i I find that confusing do you think that i mean again in in the it's 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 sort of an equal it's it's definitely presented as an equal rights issue i mean now there's a lot of guys that walk around um Without tops on, that should have tops on. You know, you know you're, you're, it's radio. You're nodding your head. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's but, no, it's and true. I've I mean, seen that overseas. Right. There, there's, there's a reason why God made shirts. Okay, I mean, and I'm, I'm the first one to <laughs> acknowledge that type of thing. When you hear from a female perspective, when you hear the, the fact that you know they're, they're now it is an ordinance and it's only going to apply to women who go topless, and there's kind of a nasty fine to it. Do you think that's fundamentally unfair? Yes, I okay. do. I do. Okay, and and just again, for all of you who are thinking salacious thoughts, don't forget that just as there are men who should probably keep their shirts on, there are women who should. <laughs> that's that's yeah, it's that that's that's Wagner's rule of life number four is just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should buy it. <laughs> you know, and I apply that to both. I apply that to men. I apply it to men and women. That is that is an equal opportunity observation. Okay, 414-799-1620. Um, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. So that that that's that's the story. And this this has gone. The story has gone national, which is why I, I talk about this. And it, it actually, I mean, it it will be playing out, or at least it has the potential to play out all over any place that allows men 
to walk around without shirts on. State Fair Park, okay? Miller Park, Bradford Beach, whatever. Public swimming pools. If they allow men to go around without tops on, should they also have to allow women to go around without tops on? And this conversation is, is very, very interesting because, like in Ocean City, there, I mean, you, you've got a lot of like the, the the thinking is, hey, these are these are family. You know, we're trying to attract families, and you know, having a the equivalent of a topless beach is a turnoff for a lot of people and families. I'm going to tell you where I come down on this, and then we're going to discuss. Uh, but, you know, what What do you think? Is this a matter of just gender equality? Have we gotten to the point in American 2017 where if, if guys can do it, if guys can walk around without shirts on, women should be able, if they choose, to walk around without shirts on as well? 414-799-1620. And I am particularly interested in a female point of view on this. I mean, is this, hey, we're burning our bras and this is like gender equality? What do you think? We discuss when we come back. If you're, and I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. Um, if you're on the line, please hold on. It's 414-799-1620. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Um, what a day of honor it was. John McCure followed the most recent Stars and Stripes honor flight as our heroes from World War II, Korea, and Vietnam visited their memorials and received gratitude from thousands. Check out video, photo galleries, and our coverage from the special day on Wisconsin's Afternoon News and the page at WTMJ.com. While you're there, um, check out our mobile apps. You can download our podcast page. I know lots of people listen to the podcast, and I very much appreciate it. All right, we're going to be talking to a special assistant for the president coming up in about 20 minutes. Right now, we're talking about topless beaches. Huge controversy in Ocean City, Maryland, which is where I used to go when I was a kid uh, vacationing. Um, It's become sort of the the national center now for the gender equality thing. Um, Women have started top bathing topless there. Um, The city council has now passed an ordinance which says it's a $1,000 fine to do this. All right. I mean, is this fundamentally unfair? Wendy and Slinger. Wendy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, what? give me the female perspective on this. All right. Well, I, um, I lived in Europe for 20 years, mostly Italy, and um, I have no problems with it, and neither did my son who grew up with this. I think the extreme is um, the, Italy has actually Polizia di Bellezza. It's called Beauty Police. Okay. So if you don't look good, topless, I'm not kidding you. You're fined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I, I assume this is a kind of a subjective determination, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the officials are men. But anyway, I have no problems with it. I didn't while I lived over in Europe. I'm Scandinavian, and that's just, you know, it was more of a son thing. Mm-hmm. But my son grew up. He's in his 20s, and it was such a balanced way to see men and women enjoying the sun. I will tell you, though, they don't parade and promenade on the right. beaches. It's more... It's a natural thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What so. would, would that fly in, in this country? I mean, would it fly in public... Let's, okay, think Bradford Beach. Think State Fair. Think yeah. Miller Park. I mean, would that... Hmm. Would stuff like that fly around here? I think we used to have something like that <laughs> at Bradford Beach. It was a zoned <laughs> area, right? So, um, yeah, I... 
I don't think the beauty police would fly. Right, no. <laughs> Right. But, uh, yeah, I think something at least to have that and just not make it so taboo and um, that puritanistic, as Jane said. You know, I totally agree. If it was just a little bit more, um, you know, available, let's just right. say. Well, you know, I mean, no, thanks to Colin. See, we've gotten now, – now, part of this – you, you know, you, you've now had you, you've had the breastfeeding, you know, movement, which has taken over. Now, I think, I mean, generally, I think it is accepted that you know women breastfeed in public. Most women who breastfeed in public do it in a sort of discreet fashion, and, and the idea is to try to mystify, which is a very natural thing. At the same time, there are differences between, and there are differences historically between. You know, boys and girls and, and gender. Clinton Bayview. Clinton, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? Should we just kind of say, okay, we're too puritanical, just um, let, let's go. If it's good enough for men, it's good enough for women. Well, yeah, I, and I agree with Jane, the point she was making about, you know, uh, us being as a society just so prudish when it comes down to, you know, the brass tacks and getting two things. I say let the tops fly at the beach. You know, I'm not suggesting, you know, when people are walking down the street on a hot day. Personally, I think men and women should keep their shirts on, you know, <laughs> those instances. Just because it doesn't, it's not a good look for men or women. But at the beach, uh, yeah, I think it's no big deal. And I don't think that it's appropriate to be sexualizing, you know, female breasts. That's not what they're there for. You know, they're there to nourish children which is, you know, a biological, natural thing that's not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But, no, but nobody's so, saying it's something to be ashamed of, but at, at, at the same time, I mean, you say it's not right. appropriate to sexualize breasts, but I mean, at, at, at the same time, that, 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 that is one of the differences between, you know, the, the, the sexes and stuff, and I mean, that, that is something that... I think both men and women, you know, I, I mean, would, would focus on, right? Let, let me ask you another question. How, how about, how far do we extend this? What about men's and women's restrooms? Is it time to do away with those? Uh, no. Uh, simply for the fact because there's more, uh, not that it's being displayed, but, um, it's just there's private areas that are can potentially be exposed in mm-hmm. a men's room. If you like, for example, when I go to, you know, the big uh, Costco-like uh, stores, um, I will, you know, have to go to the restroom, and some guys will bring their young daughters in there, and they're running all over. Right. And that, I think, is very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know, if that's a situation where you're dealing more with people's private areas, I, I, to me, mm-hmm. I guess I make no distinction between men's and women's breasts because I don't think that there's a sexual, or they're not intended to be sexualized uh, mm-hmm. at like people's genitals are. Basically. It, it, interesting position, Clint. I guess I, um, see, I understand the, the argument in theory, and, and I understand that different societies treat stuff differently, and I'm also willing to accept that maybe in this country we're, we're overly hung up on, on nudity or, you know, body parts or things like that. That being said, so uh, even understanding that, um, there, there, are, there, is a, there are differences between, you know, boys and girls. And I think communities should have the right to set certain standards with regard to, to you know, dress. And I think they have the right to also 
set standards that reflect the fact that men and women dress differently and there's different societal norms for men and women. And I guess I don't think that just because men have the right to you know go without shirts, even though they perhaps shouldn't, that that automatically means in all sorts of settings women should have the right to go without shirts too. And I'm sorry if that's an anti-feminist position, but it, it's just – there are societal differences between men and women, and the fact that, yes, I think I'm all for, believe me, I'm all for gender equality. I get all that, but at the same time, I think that there are societal standards, and candidly, I don't know about a $1,000 fine for something like this, but I think you know Ocean City or other public parks or public beaches or state fair or whatever has the right to say, hey, put your top on. I, I, I just do. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop right here in town tomorrow. Join John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live. From 3 to 6 at Great Lakes Distillery. No drinking the samples, John. 616 West Virginia Street. Register to win the amazing 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible. And tickets to see Willie Nelson perform at Summerfest next month. That is tomorrow from 3 to 6 at Great Lakes Distillery in Milwaukee. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa. And Summerfest. Summerfest kicks off in, what, about two weeks or so, I think. Uh, was it two weeks from tomorrow? I think we've got uh, Summerfest. And hopefully the weather will continue to be as outstanding as it is. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking to a special assistant to President Trump. And he's going to be talking a little bit about uh, the visit that President Trump is going to be having to, uh, uh, he's coming out here this afternoon doing a fundraiser for Governor Walker, but also appearing at, at the Waukesha County Technical College to talk about, uh, again, jobs and, and how you hook up people with the jobs. Huh. I don't know, just like I'm not sure that America needs topless beaches at every resort across the country, um, I, I'm not sure that America is ready for this either. Roseanne. Remember the TV show Roseanne with the kind of uh, crazy Roseanne Barr and um, whose life was it was sort of like a just a train wreck. Um, Well, ABC is reviving the Roseanne show and the headline. I've got uh, variety here. That's just the Hollywood thing. ABC's Roseanne to tackle the Trump era in sitcom revival. Expect comedian Roseanne Barr to tackle Donald Trump and the current reality of ordinary Americans when a revival of her popular family sitcom debuts on ABC mid-season. We don't know whether she's going to speak about Trump by name, but she's going to speak very honestly. Um, And the number of the people who performed on the show are going to be back, you know, doing the show again. Um, That's going to be interesting. But then they all talk about how, uh, let's see, one of the producers says that uh, the Trump era is right for Roseanne's return to TV. It's an established show. It's an established character. 
um, it's the perfect time to have that voice back to talk about realities. Dungy, this is the guy, says, ABC is a broadcaster by nature, tries to appeal to a broad audience. But the need has never been more acute than after the recent U.S. election. What the election revealed was that there's parts of our country that didn't feel heard, that didn't have a voice. When you look at how polling data went in the run-up to the election, it was kind of a big surprise to many people that the election turned out as it did. So in other words, he's saying, we lost the election, and we're really, really upset, and so we need to turn to Roseanne. Like, there's not enough liberal voices in the media. There's not enough lefty TV shows. We need one more in the Trump era. Well, good luck, Roseanne. It's 1035. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As everybody knows by now, President Trump is going to be in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, He's going to be headlining a fundraiser for Governor Walker. But in addition, he's going to be touring the Waukesha County Technical College uh, as part of this apprenticeship program. One of the things we've talked about on this program a lot is in Wisconsin, the unemployment rate is is down to 3.2%, which is very, very close to structural unemployment. Yet the number of manufacturing jobs has actually decreased in the last couple years. Part of the reason is because manufacturers can't find people with the skills um, or the interest or the, uh, again, aptitude, ability, whatever, to fill jobs. It is an ongoing problem, and I know it's something that the president has been talking about as well. To kind of preview President Trump's visit, we're now joined by Cliff Sims, who's a special assistant to President Trump. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about what the president's going to be talking about and what he hopes to accomplish in his visit to Wisconsin this afternoon. Yeah, well, obviously the president's a, a huge fan of Wisconsin. You guys delivered in a big way uh, for us on uh, Election Day. And uh, we've got a lot of friends there. And uh, so the president coming back today to talk about an issue that is uh, really near and dear to his heart. Here's a guy who is a, a builder uh, by trade and has uh, you know done a lot of work over the years with skilled craftsmen and tradesmen that have been a huge part of of building the the Trump organization, the the real estate side of of that, and so you know as as we've been looking at what's happening out there across the country, and there is a lot of positive economic news. One of the things that we're seeing is, and you just said it, is there's a skills gap that exists all across the country. I mean, we have, uh, you know, there, there are reports that say some 3.4 million manufacturing jobs that are expected to be created over the next decade. And yet 2 million of those jobs, the Manufacturing Institute estimates, could remain unfilled because uh, we simply can't find the the skilled laborers uh, to do those jobs. Now, we know as Americans, we have the best workers in the world. So it's not a matter of like we we don't have people that can do it. There's a disconnect right now between our, our people who are hard workers who want to do these jobs, our companies who have these jobs that are creating these jobs and are growing, uh, and you know, connecting those two. And so there's a few principles that I think you can expect the president to, to really lay out today. Number one, we've got to recognize the value of skills-focused education. There are many paths to success, uh, and, you know, other than a four-year college d- degree. In fact, right now, a lot of these four-year degrees are coming at an increased cost. The, the average student graduates with about $37,000 in student loans, Meanwhile, you've got all these skills trades that they could be uh, getting trained for, and they could walk right into those jobs making more money than they would often with a four-year college degree. So, number one, got to recognize the value of that type of ed- education. Number two, 
expanding apprenticeship programs. And number three, we've got to get uh, Congress to pass some education reforms and provide better post-secondary options for uh, our young people that are coming out of uh, school. So that's that's a few of the things that you can expect the president to talk about today. There's a lot of this start in the high schools, too. Um, I, I know a number of schools over the years, there's been a cutback in the vocational training, and there's been this effort yeah. to try to you know push people into, uh, again, the four-year college degrees, and, and Lord knows not taking nothing away from English majors, we also need skilled draftsmen and, and people who can do medical metal um, pet fabrication. Well, you're exactly right. And you hear that phrase, college and career ready, all the time, that these uh, schools or high schools are trying to produce uh, students, graduates who are college and career ready. And it feels like, uh, to me, and I think a lot of people around the country, that the pendulum has swung hard toward let's get them ready for college. But there's a lot of folks right now that we're just not getting ready for careers. And and I think somewhere along the line, we really uh, made a mistake, and it was probably a well-meaning mistake, but uh, in, in, in stigmatizing the trades. I mean, there are electricians and plumbers and, um, you know, skilled craftsmen of other types who uh, walk right into those jobs without uh, a four-year college degree and are making a lot more money than, you know, a lot of the English majors that you just mentioned. And so I think we've got to, first of all, get to the root of this, which is get rid of that stigmatization and, and realize that the value of quality work uh, is the same no matter what it is that you're doing. So I think that's a core American value and something that the president really cares a lot about. And so uh, I think that'll be a really a starting point for us. Your third point was getting Congress to, to pass some legislation. What specifically are you looking at? Well, Congress has got to got to make it easier for Americans to access affordable education that teaches relevant skills and then leads to a job. So updating our higher education funding so it supports more high-quality courses and programs that lead to good jobs and will help Americans obtain the skills they need to find a well-paying job is really going to be at the center of this. So as you mentioned, a lot of these schools have cut out these uh, some of the trades programs that they do, uh, I think you're going to see a push here for Congress to kind of step up and, uh, you know, at the state levels as well. As well. A lot of these folks, uh, a lot of these programs are state-funded programs, and we're obviously big believers here in, in pushing uh, education decisions down to the state and local levels that local folks can make the best decisions about what's best for their students, for their communities. But you're going to see a really big push for uh, funding for those type of programs so we can start bringing those things back. You know, Cliff, I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk to you today. I, when I discussed a related issue yesterday, I, I can't tell you how many calls I got from people who are in the trades, manufacturers, etc., who, who talk about when they have job fairs because they have all these openings, that they don't get any applicants under the age of 50. And uh, the, the big concern is, as a lot of the people who do these jobs get closer to retirement and or retire, the big concern is there's going to be this huge void that's out there that needs to be filled, but there aren't people who are in a position to step in and fill those jobs. Yeah, and, and shows like yours that are, are kind of alerting folks to that issue, I mean, we've got ourselves a, a broader economic issue here. If we do not address this now, you're going to see exactly what you're talking about, where suddenly there's going to be all these unfilled jobs out there. It's going to stall growth of the economy because companies can't find skilled workers. It's going to rise unemployment because you're going to have all these people who can't find a job in whatever the, you know, the fields that they went to school for. They're not ready for these trades jobs. That's a serious economic problem that is coming down the road. We're getting ahead of it right now, 
but it's important to take action before it gets to that point that it's causing a, a broader problem and, and it's going to really suppress growth all across the economy. Cliff Sims, Special Assistant to President Trump, thanks for joining us on the program this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that, that's a, it, that, that is a key it, it is a key factor, and I mean, I understand that when when we talk about politics in Washington, I, I get it nowadays. Everybody, what we're, we're talking about, you know, what what is the Russian connection? And, and we're looking, you know, at the bright, shiny objects. And by the way, I, I think it is significant if, and I don't think there's any question about it, you know, Russia's trying to mess around with our elections and things like that. that, that that's a big issue. And I appreciate you've got a special counsel and you've got all this smoke that's out there about, you know, um, you know, was there collusion with the Trump campaign? And I get that plays into what a lot of people want to talk about. But at the same time, I think you can't take your eyes off the prize. And the reality is, you know, what we should all be concerned about our quality of life issues, whether it's figuring out how to, you know, fix the screwed up tax code, whether it's figuring out, you know, what's the next step with health insurance, or whether it's, you know, are people going to be able to get good family sustaining jobs? And and that's why, uh, I mean, I admit I'm on my soapbox when it comes to these issues. It's why, again, I want to hear what the president has to say uh, about this, because we need to connect you know, the, the truth of the matter is, and I, I have nothing, look, I have nothing against English majors and four-year college degrees and lawyers and things like that. Um, I, I didn't, as I've said before, I mean, I didn't have the aptitude or the ability or the interest for, you know, some of the, these trade positions. I, I didn't. Thank, thankfully, I mean, I was able to, you know, make a pretty good living doing what I've done over the course of my lifetime. But at the same time, I mean, I, I know that there are limitations. I can't do electrical work. I can't do sheet metal fabricating. I, I, you know, I can't do plumbing. I depend on the people who know what they're doing to, to do that for me. And I do, first of all, I am very worried that as you look, as the population continues to age, if there's this huge void, you know, what happens when the people that we all depend on to, to do our HVAC or, or whatever what, what happens is those people start to retire, and there's not sufficient people to replace them. That's an issue. And secondly, when you look at what is going on in the economy nowadays, and we talk about issues with student loans and people not having enough money, young people not having enough money to buy houses, and you know people who are you know, grossly underemployed because they you know, come out with the, the four-year liberal arts degree, not knocking that, but they come out with a degree, and they can't find a job, and so they're living in mom's basement you know, working as a barista at the local coffee store. Nothing wrong with that. It's honorable work, but at the same time, you, know, you wonder, okay, you know, would those people, at least some of them, would have them, they have been better suited if we could have directed them into a career where – Maybe it fit their skill level better, or maybe it it fit their aptitude better. You know, give them a chance, and, and that's I think that's why we have to start looking f- to the future, and, and that's why I mean it gets a little bit. It's kind of scary when I look at Wisconsin's unemployment rate, which is like I was saying earlier, down to three point two percent, which is. Structural unemployment means essentially there's always going to be a little bit of unemployment because people are going to be unemployed transitioning from jobs, between jobs. Okay, you, I'm taking the summer off, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to work in September or something like that, those types of people. There, there's always going to be a certain percentage like that. 
Um, and, and we're getting close to structural unemployment, where ev- almost everybody who wants a job can find a, a job. But there's still a lot of people who aren't looking for jobs, so out, they're out of the market. Well, okay, we we got to figure out what we're going to do for them. And if we can figure out a way to better, I think, take people who have certain aptitudes and skills and get them the training and get them into these family-sustaining jobs, it'll be better. It's 1046. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1049. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What a day of honor it was. John McCure followed the most recent Stars and Stripes honor flight as our heroes from World War II, Korea, and Vietnam visited their memorials and received gratitude from thousands. Check out video, photo galleries, and our coverage from the special day on the Wisconsin's Afternoon News Afternoon nude, afternoon news page of WTMJ.com. I have been watching our, our radar all morning, and it's really a tale of two areas um, around the Milwaukee area. Now, it, it, it rained really hard right around, it was around 730. And the reason I know it was around 730 is... It was right as I was getting ready to take my dog out for, you know, because what happens, I get up in the morning, you know, get myself ready, sit down, finalize the show at home, and then my goal is sometime between 7.15 and 7.30. This is one of the advantages when you live close to the studio. I, I take Sasha out for, like, her morning constitutional. So I, I know I know it started to rain sometime around 7.15 to 7.30 because it's right as I'm getting ready to take the dog out. It starts like raining, like Noah get ready to build a boat. So, uh, but you know, so she's looking at me like, Dad, are we really going out in the rain? Yes, we're going out in the rain. So I get the umbrella and I'm out there with the umbrella. So I know it rained really hard. And then I got here and it was raining, you know, out in the parking lot, but it's pretty much stopped. And so I'm looking at the radar and oh, oh gosh, I mean, it's, it's dry in, in a good part of southeastern Wisconsin, but all morning. There has been a band of rain which looks like it is just fixed over if you start like at West Bend and then you kind of go northwest Beaver Dam and Fond du Lac and you know up towards Oshkosh and stuff it's like there there's just like a, a band of rain like red and a little bit of yellow and uh green that's just been kind of hanging on over that area and it's really and again it's perfectly dry here and it's been dry for at least the last several hours and i know it rained like heck up in that area last night too so you you kind of wonder but it's just amazing to me uh, this is the ultimate thing in southeastern wisconsin where in the space of like 30 miles it can be such an incredible difference and you are seeing that difference play out I don't know what to make about this next story, and I've gotten a number of emails from people who have wanted me to talk about it, and I've really been trying to figure out what the angle is. Um, there's a Republican state representative, Jesse Kramer, who represents kind of the northwest side of Milwaukee, and he generated some controversy not that long ago when he, he came out and you know, pronounced the fact that, that he believes that the Earth is 6,000 years old. Now, most scientists will tell you that the Earth is, you know, a, a lot older than 6,000 years. Um, depending on, you know, what scientific survey you look at, the scientists will say 4.5 billion to 6 billion years, you know. Um, but there are, it's kind of a religious 
there, there are certain religious figures, and I think um, you know most people trace this six thousand figure to an Irish archbishop who lived in the fifteen hundreds and the sixteen hundreds, who concluded that Adam was created in four hundred four B.C. and then that they move forward, saying, "Okay, how many generations have there been you know, since Adam was created?" and they come up with it, the six thousand year old figure. And so it's all kind of tied into the whole creation sort of thing. And again, um, science, I mean, science, I think, clearly indicates that the Earth is is older than that. And again, you're talking about, you know, billions of years. But people have these various beliefs. And I've heard from a number of people who thought that some of the criticism that this representative was getting for saying that the Earth is 6,000 years old was unfair and that, that they also shared this. I guess I, I'm kind of looking at this, and I, I think this is the same kind of argument that we have with evolution versus, you know, creation. I I don't I mean I, I find it hard to believe that the Earth was created in seven days. I mean I think that it's pretty well established that there is the science there. I mean the question becomes what exactly was a day, and I I think that you know science and religious belief can sort of coexist, and so. At the same time, um, the, the Earth isn't 6,000 years old. I don't think you can divorce yourself from that fact. But at the same time, I think you have to respect people's beliefs. And you know, who knows exactly what a year is going to be or something like that. The truth of the matter is you have this state representative who's saying these types of things. And, I mean, it's a deeply held religious belief. And it comes, again, from you know interpretations of both biblical and non-biblical sources. It's not supported by science, but it is a matter of belief. And there's a lot of stuff which isn't necessarily supported by science, but becomes a matter of uh, a matter of belief as well, the extent of global warming, things like that. And I'm not equating climate change with you know, how old the Earth is. But I think these things can coexist as we always recognize that there's a scientific there's a scientific analysis and you have to respect that. And some people have religious beliefs and you have to expect that and respect those as well. And you just accommodate. It's 1109. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. I I, I want to kind of take this story off in a slightly different direction. There was a story in the New York Times the other day. The headline is, and of course, the New York Times hates Donald Trump. And and to the point that it, it really, they're dug in and it's a vendetta. It, there just is. I, I mean, look, I understand why it, you, you could look at, for example, the James Comey testimony last week and you know, I, I think a reasonable person could look at it and say it, it portrayed, even if it doesn't rise to the level of obstruction of justice, it portrayed President Trump in an unflattering light. But there, there must have been uh, 10 stories and, and op-ed pieces, and, and they were all echoing the same thing. It was the liberal echo chamber, you know, and it was all vicious. And you had a bunch of people, oh, this is obstruction of justice, all those type of things. Um, and, and again, it was somewhat over the top. And so I understand there's a mainstream media vendetta and... You know, there's the blowback and the pushback you get. But so this story in the New York Times, Donald Trump is the worst boss in Washington. Now, the truth of the matter is there are an enormous number of positions that are not filled. Um, You know, right now, apparently of 558 key positions requiring Senate confirmation, 
There's only 123 of these that have been either nominated or filled. And, and that's just the jobs requiring Senate confirmation. There's a lot of other jobs that remain vacant as well. You will remember the story uh, a few months ago, Trump fires all the U.S. attorneys, and that was the headline. And I cautioned you about this because that's what happens, you know, when um, – U.S. attorneys are political appointees, not the career prosecutors that work for them. And when there's an administration change, particularly when there's a party change, the, the existing U.S. attorneys, they, they they go. And, you know, everybody knows that. I mean, I was in the U.S. attorney's office in uh, it, when Clinton came in, and, and they did the same thing. You know, they One day they call up all the U.S. attorneys and they say, you're gone. You're out of here. Pack up your boxes. Pack up your stuff. You know, you're gone the next day. Um, now, of course, when Donald Trump did that, it was a huge story. When Bill Clinton did it, well, nothing to see here. But the, the Trump administration has been, I think, slow in filling positions. One of the other, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of the reasons, candidly, is there's a lot of people, I, I think, who would otherwise be wanting to you know, jump into jobs who are reluctant to work for the Trump administration. And that's just, that's... That is just the reality of it. I mean, I look at they're just finally I think yesterday they, they announced that they were they were just going to begin the process. I think they sent eight names to uh, for U.S. attorneys across the country. And and I, I've been kind of watching some of the lists. And I mean, truthfully, there's a lot of people who I think would have applied for certain jobs, um, but but they didn't. Because for, you know, whatever reason, they just didn't want to work for Donald Trump. And I think the reality is that I can understand why people would say that Trump would be a bad boss. Um, He's shown so far a a willingness to throw people under the bus. I mean, witnesses what's going on with Jeff Sessions. Uh, The Attorney General Jeff Sessions is going to be testifying before Senate committee this afternoon. I think it kicks off at 1.30 our time. I mean, Jeff Sessions former senator from Alabama, who was one of the earliest people on the Trump train, um, nominated and accepted the job as attorney general. Apparently, if you believe the reports, he and President Trump are on the outs because he recused himself, which led to the appointment of this special counsel that's now going to be investigating the Russian connections, and apparently President Trump is livid over that. So there's been a little bit of a falling out. Um, You have all sorts of aides who will go out and they'll say one thing publicly, and they'll be expressing what they think is the party line, and then couple hours later, President Trump will come out and he'll um, undercut the aides by saying something completely different, which makes them look foolish. And so you, you've, you've got that going on. And there's also some people who think that, the you know, given all the stuff that's out there, that the Trump administration is going to just implode at some point in time. And I don't necessarily believe that's going to be the case. But there's some people who are saying, okay, um, you know, I'd really like this federal job or I'd love to serve my country in this fashion, but I'm worried that this is going to end poorly. And I don't want to necessarily, you know, a lot of times being a special assistant to a president is a great thing to have on your resume as you move forward. But, you know, some people might say, well, okay, uh, maybe this isn't the president that I want to have that on my resume for. So, I mean, there are a number of people in Washington who believe that Donald Trump is a bad boss. And so they're just avoiding, you know, going to work for him. Well, I, I don't. I understand that, and I don't want to talk about that aspect of it, but it raises kind of this larger issue. As I was saying before the break, I have been very, very fortunate 
in, in my life that I I've really never had a bad boss. I, I've had better bosses than, than others, but I, I've never really had a bad boss. And in a handful of positions that I've had where I thought that there was a bad boss who was, for example, going to be taking over, I got out. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, if there's a situation where, hey, I see who's coming in and I just don't think it's going to work out very well, that, that's okay. I, I've moved on. So as I look back on, on my career and the different thing, and I even go back to, you know, when I was a kid, I can't think of, again, there, there's some people that I enjoyed working for more than others, and there were some that had more idiosyncrasies than others. I have been really, really fortunate in, in that I, I just don't think I've had a bad boss. During the break, I, I said to Jane Matinair, I said, you know, if, if you had bad bosses, and she told me a story that I'm not going to repeat on the air. But, yes, Jane has had really bad bosses. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The word in Washington is that Donald Trump may be the worst boss in Washington. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. Have you ever worked for a really bad boss? And and what made the boss Really, really bad. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That that person that you just made you hate coming in to work. You know, the, the one going, I can't believe this person has this job. We've all had good bosses. If you worked for a really bad boss, and what was the characteristic that made the boss so bad. And I think there's going to be some common themes that develop. So we'll be back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you ever had a really bad boss, and why was the person really bad? We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's 1117. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1119. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There's a story in the New York Times Donald Trump is the worst boss in Washington for a variety of reasons. Got me thinking, I, I really never had a, a genuinely bad boss. I, I've had some that I, I liked more than others, that I thought were better than others, but I've never had a really bad one. And I think I'm lucky in that regard. Danny in Milwaukee. Danny, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. You are very lucky in that <laughs> regard. Um, I had a, I've had all different kinds of bosses, the jerks, the milk toasty ones. Um, the one that irritated me the most was I was working at a gas station, and this guy was nice on the outside, but then sly on uh, everywhere else, where, like, at one point he would give you a a satisfactory review for everything that you've done. And I was like, wait a minute. I've worked here five years. I've never been late. I've never called in sick, and I volunteer for extra time. And you're giving me satisfactory on attendance? <laughs> then... Yeah. Then any idea that you would come up with, like, you know, scrubbing this down, you know, because I haven't cleaned it 20 years or whatever, right. he would take this idea, you and know, that steal it was it. yours. He would say, he would tell the district yeah. manager that he did it right in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Now, thanks. And, to, yeah, that would, that would, that would that, it, yeah. yeah, I think that that is, that is one of the characteristics when you talk about bad bosses. Um, you know, you make the suggestion and they steal your idea or you do something and then they claim the credit for that. And I really, again, I I, I hear those horror stories and, and I, I've just never really experienced it. I mean, yeah, but, but taking credit for the people who work for you, your work, that's clearly a category. Okay, on our text line, 
Mary from Tosa. Okay, the topic is, you know, worst boss you work for, bad boss. Her, her note is, my mother fired me. <laughs> my, don't know what she fired her for, but my mother fired me. 414-799-1620. Shirnaz in Brookfield. Good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hello. 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 Hi, Shirnaz. Thanks for taking my call, yes, Jeff. Ma'am. I think Danny was absolutely right that you are very, very lucky <laughs> regarding you don't have a bad boss. But I work for a healthcare and a massage therapist, and uh, I have been noticed that uh, the bosses services to their favorites. You know, right? And I did tell them many, many times, but they don't listen. So that's. So you got a current. I'm sorry. You, you somebody. I don't. I don't know if you got call waiting or whatever. But so you got. Uh, yeah. I mean, playing favorites is always another one of those things that's frustrating as well. Now the bosses might say, "Well, we inevitably play favorites because you know, some employees are better than others." But yeah, that's that. That's that's an annoyance as well, where you can tell. I would imagine where you can tell that like people are treated differently. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike in Caledonia. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. You you've had a bad boss? Yes. One time when I came out of the military I was in Texas. So I, I decided to stay in Texas for a while, you know, and get work sure. my way up here to Wisconsin and uh, you know, it was a hardware store. It was a small hardware store, and the thing was that there were a well-to-do family, and uh, this man was very arrogant, and, you know, he can do whatever he wanted. He can treat people yeah. very, very badly, and it was to the point that people were just, you know, quitting left and right. I lasted two years, hmm. and one day when I went to go get a dental appointment, to take care of a dental appointment, I got a phone call at the dental office <laughs> telling me I was fired. <laughs> Jeez. I'm, I, I'm getting a tooth. Thanks. I'm, I'm getting a tooth filled or I'm having a root canal or whatever. And, and that's what you decide to sack somebody. Yeah. That, it, see, I've always thought, as a matter of fact, that it's it, it's easier to be. Sometimes you got to work at being a jerk. It's just easier to be. You know, a decent guy. Jeff sends me an email. I had two bosses who would give terrible, unclear directions about what they wanted done and then would get angry when I would ask questions for clarifications. Um, Yeah, um, one of them was so bad that I began to think of her as a cop stopping me for a moving violation, and I ended up saying as little to her as possible. Yeah, that's always one of these things as well. Let's talk to Bob in Janesville. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, what's up, Jeff? What is bad boss? You've had one. Uh, yeah, I just I worked at uh, I worked in retail uh, for a, a couple of years, and the, uh, the store manager he was just like a, he was a very cut and dry kind of guy, and he would just he would just be literally uh, <laughs> right in front of the customer. Yeah, you know, like a little kid, you know. And yeah, just, that wouldn't have gone. That would not have gone over well with me. It's like, okay, if if you've got an issue with me, you you don't need to do it in front of everybody. Right, just right, you know, right. okay, just take me behind closed doors. And I don't mean by yeah, my. Yeah. I don't mind being taken to the woodshed, but I don't need to be publicly <laughs> embarrassed. Right, yeah. right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So did that? So did you, I assume you didn't last very long at that job? Uh, I actually found something else, and he he actually got transferred out to a different store. So I, I think I think one of the assistant managers 
spoke to like a district manager and, and, and kind of right kind of you know spilled the beans on them. But. Right. Yeah, but no, there's there's nothing worse than that. Uh, let's see on our text line. Thanks for the call. My boss never came out of her office, but if she did and headed towards our cubicles, everyone went into panic because uh, somebody did something wrong, and they were going to hear about it. Finally, I ran as fast as I could. Um, okay. Brian writes, worst boss I've ever had was my dad. Um, we come from a German background, so we're all very stubborn, couldn't ever agree on anything, and I always did everything the wrong way, whether it was right. Um, basically, what I'm getting at is family doesn't work well together sometimes. Uh, yeah. Mark in Milwaukee. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. You've had a bad boss? Oh, yeah. I worked for a doctor. I was the clinical director of one of the departments. Okay. And there was about 20 or 30, 25 people, I guess, not to exaggerate, but 25 people in the clinic and Christmas bonuses. He would give out Christmas bonuses. Okay, Christmas bonuses, that's good. One year, he gave out a Christmas bonus to a single mother who had been there six months of $2.50. The poor girl was crying and carrying on. I mean, I gave her a Christmas bonus. Out of my Christmas bonus, I was so saddened by the situation. Two dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> that's how cheap he was. That it was the poor girl. It was just sad as could be. Oh, two dollars. Well, you know, Merry Christmas, Mister Scrooge. <laughs> two dollars and fifty cents. Wow. Now they, that's. I mean, right. It's it's kind of like why bother? I mean, it's if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, just keep the two dollars and fifty cents and buy yourself a cup of black coffee at Starbucks. It's eleven twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Eleven thirty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Our WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop right here in town tomorrow. Join John McCure and Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from three to six at Great Lakes Distillery, six sixteen West Virginia Street. Register to win the amazing nineteen sixty-eight Valenti Oldsmobile four four two convertible and and. Tickets to see Willie Nelson perform at Summerfest next month. That is tomorrow from 3 to 6 at Great Lakes Distillery in Milwaukee. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride, sponsored by New Mail Medical and Tosa and Summerfest. And a quick reminder, we're, we're doing the free ride uh, giveaway a little bit differently than we've done in, in the past. Because this year, um, it, it used to be that we would run it through a good portion of July. Um, but this year, we're, we're knocking off, um, we're going to be giving away the car at Summerfest, the last night of Summerfest, how cool is that? So, um, you know, keep listening as we inch into, like I say, Summerfest is starting two weeks from tomorrow. And so as we get closer and closer to that, there's going to be more of these events. So it's a great car. Come on out, and tomorrow's a great opportunity. Um, three to six, Great Lakes Distillery, 616 West Virginia Street, kind of right over the viaduct there. Stop by and say hi to uh, John McCure. All right, th- this is a story which has gone Viral. I hate that phrase because it's such a cliche, but it is a story that has gone viral. And they're they're just, I mean, I I think sometimes you need to kind of dial it back because, like I was saying earlier, when it comes to President Trump, there are lots of people, there's just two categories, it seems to me. There's the, you know, the always Trumpers and the people for whom President Trump can do absolutely nothing wrong. So even when it's very, very clear that he's done something wrong, they, they can't see it. 
And then the flip side is the never ever Trumpers, the people who just have the Trump derangement syndrome, who are just so out of control, blind with their hatred, that he can't do anything right. And the truth is, again, it's, it's somewhere in between. So people jump on all these different types of things. Um, Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General of the United States, is going to, the testimony is going to be 1.30 today. He's testifying in front of a Senate committee, and it's going to be somewhat contentious. Um, he's going to be quizzed about his decision to recuse himself from and appoint a special counsel in the investigation of contacts between, you know, the Russian government and the Trump uh, and and. Trump surrogates or officials um, during the transition and during the campaign. Um, he's going to be quizzed about whether or not he had uh, contacts with some Russian officials that he didn't disclose prior to his hearings. It, it's going to be it's going to be kind of a tricky testimony, I think, for uh, Jeff Sessions, and we're going to talk about how well he did on tomorrow's program. But but in the given that you've got this going on. There's this report out there saying that President Trump is considering firing former FBI director Robert Mueller, who is the special counsel that's investigating possible ties between the president's campaign and Russian officials. And again, Mueller was appointed, you know, after the attorney general ended up recusing himself. And at least the word out in Washington is that one of the things that's driven kind of a this created a rift between the attorney general and President Trump is that President Trump wants this whole thing to go away and that he wasn't happy by the fact that the special counsel ended up being appointed. And it's a special counsel when it's appointed by the Justice Department. It would be a special prosecutor if it was appointed by the president. But essentially, it, it's the same sort of thing. In any event, the reports are that the president is unhappy about this um, because he thinks it's just going to prolong the investigation. So there's a a headline, for example, New York Times headline says, Friend says Trump is considering firing Mueller as special counsel. Now, let me just take a step back here. And I understand that President Trump isn't taking political advice from me. At this point in time, to fire the special counsel would be, I I don't want to overstate this, but it would be about the dumbest political move that you could possibly make. If people thought firing James Comey, the FBI director, was politically dumb, um, this would be stupid on steroids, Um, especially at this point. Matter of fact, the number three person in the Justice Department who ended up appointing the special counsel, he's on record today as saying there's no basis to appoint the fire of the special counsel. There's no basis for this. So where does the story come from? Well, apparently, um, one of Mr. Trump's friends, a guy named Christopher Ruddy, who's the chief executive of Newsmax Media. And Newsmax Media, it's it's a conservative website, uh, a lot of trafficking, reports a lot of conservative stories. He, um, he was at the White House on Monday, and then he goes on PBS, and he says that uh, Mr. Trump is considering perhaps terminating the special counsel. I, I think he's weighing that option. Okay, well, first of all, with friends like this, President Trump doesn't need enemies because even if he was even if he said this or was thinking about it, to have somebody then run and, and erp this up publicly does nothing but but hurt him. So this would be one where it, even if he said it, um, anybody who was truly his friend or his ally wouldn't run publicly and disclose this because this would be so very controversial. Again, you know, who knows if he actually said it? Who knows if this was just, uh, again, venting? 
because he's unhappy with the pace of the investigation or whatever. But uh, for people who are wondering where this report comes from, well, it's it's from this friend of his, Christopher Ruddy, who says he was at the White House on Monday and said that Trump said this to him. The White House is saying we don't know anything about this, haven't heard anything about it. The Justice Department is saying there's no basis for firing him. I'm sure that in the questioning today of the Attorney General, he might be asked about this as well. And again, if I was to give it any advice to President Trump, at this point in time, perhaps at any point in time, but certainly at this point in time, if you want to totally and completely commit political suicide, fire the special counsel. You have the power to do it, but um, that would be about as bad a move as possible. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. WTMJ lets you experience Wisconsin's finest supper clubs at half price. This week, our featured supper club is Pitches Lounge and Restaurant in Milwaukee. Featuring their specialty barbecue baby back ribs, Pitches has been family-owned and operated for over 70 years this Friday at noon. Get a $50. Pitches is great, by the way. Just an outstanding place. The ribs are tremendous. They've been family-owned and operated for over 70 years. This Friday at noon, get a $50 certificate for only $25. These go quickly. Um, Pitches are extremely popular. We only have 100 available. Get yours this Friday starting at noon by heading to WTMJSupperClub.com. Speaking of supper clubs, restaurants, I thought it was me. Um, Tell I saw this story in the Washington Post. It is one of my pet peeves, and I want to discuss it with you. Um, I have to confess, one of the things that I find happening as I get a little bit older is I get a little bit bigger. I'm, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight, but you know, I, but but you know, nonetheless, we in general, I think I'm like a lot of people. You kind of put on a little bit of weight. One of the things that I have been noticing in, in there's a couple restaurants that I really like to go to. And I understand that some of these places are, are smaller kind of places. But I walk into these restaurants, and, and what I notice is the tables are just on top of each other. I mean, really on top of each other. And in some of these places, they have like the, the banquettes, you know, which is like the benches. And then they'll have the tables, and then they'll have a chair. So, you know, if you're going to, if you have like two people, one person would sit on the on the bench, and one person would sit on the chair. And they have these little smaller tables. And there's there's one place that I, I really like the food. I love it. But but if they try to put you in there, you are are literally on top of the table next to you to the point where if you are a normal sized human being, it, it's it's really impossible to wedge your way in. You know, without knocking everything over. And, and I get it. The restaurants are trying to, you know, cram as many people as they possibly can in to get as many tables as there are. But I, I've been, I've been kind of noticing this and I've been sort of feeling guilty saying, okay, is, is this, is this me, Mr. Widebody, that you can't fit in there? But again, I think I'm kind of a normal sized person. Um, story in the Washington Post. Megan Foster and her then boyfriend were trying to turn a bad day around by venturing to restaurant for drinks and dinner when she tried to navigate the sliver of space between her table and the next she says she bumped everything water silverware flowers off both of them and promptly burst into tears the incident didn't scar her for life she says she and her boyfriend later were married but whenever they go back they make sure to avoid this particular restaurant um, because they can't fit in then the story goes on to talk about how they call this um, ballet 
ballet diners dining um, that in order to like get into the seats of these tables, you, you have to essentially be a contortionist or suck in your gut or you know be kind of a ballet dancer to pivot this stuff around for the, these tables. Now, for me, it's not just it's not just getting into or out of the table, but also it's the fact that you're you're right on top of other people. And even if you want to have a normal kind of conversation, you, you can't do that without the people on either side of you, you know, listening in. And I'm not talking about the, first po- po- the person with a cell phone who's yelling because of the ambient noise. I'm talking about if there's somebody 12 inches away from you, even if they don't want to hear your conversation, they are probably going to end up hearing it. And yet more and more restaurants are going to this. Okay, we only got a couple minutes. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you noticing this trend, and is it bothersome to you? And I've been noticing it more and more, and I haven't said anything about it because, I mean, I understand the restaurants are trying to get as many tables as they possibly can. But what motivated me was a story in the Washington Post. I saw the latest trend I loathe in restaurants, no space between tables. And I'm reading the story. You know what? I I say amen, brother. And, again, it's, it's not just... It's just not navigating in and out of the table, okay? You can do that, but it's, I don't want to be right on top of somebody else. And I like people, mind you, but I don't want to hear about their conversation. And candidly, I don't want people hearing mine. And I'm not talking about, I mean, I'm saying, I don't say anything in public that I wouldn't say on the radio or stuff like that, but I just don't want people, you know, listening in. And you you can't help it when you're that close. Michelle in Grafton. Michelle, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Jeff, I'm so glad you brought this up. And actually, I went to the infamous Sanford's. And, um, very right, the very high-end restaurant, yep. Very high-end, and that's the one thing I remember. I remembered, and I'm tiny, like 100 pounds. Yeah. And, but it's not even getting in and out of the table because we were able to sit, like, one to the back and, and one, you know what I mean, right. in the area where... But, we were right on top of another couple that I knew, and I knew they were having marital problems, and they didn't say anything during the whole <laughs> dinner, which made me more aware of that. And they were, I'm not kidding, if I dropped my napkin, I to pick over and bend, right. get it, yeah. and my head would have hit yeah. their table. And I, it made me so uncomfortable that I couldn't even concentrate on my dinner. Yeah, no, exactly. No, right, and and that and that, look, and I understand. I mean, I, I I'm thinking literally in the last two weeks, I've been to a couple restaurants that that I like. I really enjoy them, and I, I get it that by having by doing it this way, you can get maybe one or maybe two extra tables in into these relatively small restaurants. And I get that that makes you know it could make a big difference in the bottom line. You know how much is generated, but literally when you're you know, when you're a foot or so away from a diner who's not part of your party, it's just, it's uncomfortable. And then you sit and wonder, gee, if I have to get out during the meal, i got to use the restroom or something, how am I going to do this you know, without knocking everything over? Margaret in St. Francis. Margaret, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Have you noticed this trend? I think you must be talking about the Cheesecake Factory because I find it, I, I love the food there, but it's just, 
it's so hard with the seating on those benches like you were talking about. It's just, you're just literally touching the person next to you. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, I wasn't talking about the Cheesecake Factory, but yes, I, I know, right, it, it, last time I was there, it was the same sort of thing. You're just on top of people, and I like people, but, you know, I, I don't want somebody 12 inches off my elbow when I'm eating. Exactly. And I love their food, but yeah, it, I find the same thing. Uh, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I'm sorry. Lots of, I started this topic too late. Lots of calls. Uh, Paul, who's in a wheelchair, says it's hard to get around as it is. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. And I mean, I, I understand there's the economics of it, but, um, you know, when Scafidi and Bills that do their, there ought to be a law thing. That would be one of mine. You know, if you're going to have a restaurant, have at least a decent amount of space between the tables so normal sized people can get in and out and, that, you know, not everybody hears your business. 